middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we need to be back off the Memorial Day holiday and talking a lot of baseball here as we enter the dog days of summer. Welcome in to the Keeper of the Games podcast. This is episode number 69 of the only podcast dedicated to sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. I am your host, Blake Cripps, Tommy Caster, off this week and just had a kid, believe it or not. Find him at tweets from Tommy. Send him some congratulations. What a week for him. Uh, Suffice to say, Tommy's going to be pretty scarce here over the next few weeks. But rejoining us this week is Weston Mills. So, Weston, how was your extra week off for you? Oh, man. Uh, Always enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Can't really say, you know, there wasn't much to it. Just uh, having that extra day is always nice. Took our, uh, our little daughter out to the lake last weekend, which not Memorial Day weekend, but, you know, still good to get out there. And I will say, uh, as Tommy has entered parenthood now, and we yeah. got two-thirds of the KOG with parenthood, Blake, is there anything that <laughs> you need to tell us? Uh, we are so far away from that, you can't even <laughs> see that in the distance. Uh, we're, we're, have you heard of the, the, like, what is it called, like the 13-step program? We're not even yeah. we're not even on the treadmill in terms of getting that started. Okay, we haven't even found where the steps in. We're on we're on a slide the other direction. Do you have any opening um, opening advice for Tommy? If I'm, he's going to be watching, obviously he's going to check it out or, or listen. What would be your number one piece of fatherly advice for a brand new father that Tommy Castor became over the weekend? Oh, man. Uh, so this is a quote that was not related to parenthood, but something that I think hit home for me. And that's uh, that I heard a long time ago. And it's be where you're at. I mean, seriously, though, that that is really, you know, a lot of times I give I, I make s- smart remarks and this and that. But th- that's a serious one for me. Be where you're at. <laughs> it, it's easy to get your head, you know, a 100 different places doing this, doing that. Take that time, you know, be where you're at. Enjoy kind of all these moments that you have before things kind of get hectic as, you know, he gets back to his real job. Uh, you know, Morgan's working, all that. Yep. So certainly hope he enjoys this early on and sleep when you can. Yeah, that that's what they say. So congratulations, Tommy and Morgan. Tommy will be rejoining us here in three to four weeks on the program. Certainly wish him and his new son the very best. Of course, we're wishing us the best as well. And for us to do that, we need your support. You can follow us on all the social media platforms. Cogsports.com is the website. Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games at Cogpod on Twitter. And, of course, the best place to find the podcast each and every week is on Podomatic Cogpod at dotpodomatic.com videos are available on facebook.com slash keeper the games and on youtube and the audio gets posted pretty much everywhere iHeartRadio, spotify google apple stitcher and a whole lot more coming up on the show today a national football championship comes to kansas the wichita wind surge surging forward and back in the same series but we begin today with the state of the kansas city royals Kansas City Royals baseball, as we enter today, 29 and 28, they are six games back in the Central. The Chicago White Sox have kind of caught fire here. They're 36 and 23. They've got the second best record in the American League, and they have won seven of their last 10. Royals, six and four in their last 10, three games back of the wild card. And I know June 7th, we're roughly about two thirds of the way through the season now. But still pretty early to be looking at the wild card standings. But three games back, so certainly not hopeless for the Royals in terms of getting a wild card berth. Looking at the schedules, it is a late one tonight. And as we are kicking off here, they are pitching it off out on the West Coast in Anaheim as the Royals are opening up a three-game set with the Angels. Last off day 
for the Royals was Wednesday last week. So a long stretch of games they're going to play from last Thursday all the way to next Wednesday, the 16th. So I think it's going to be the longest stretch of baseball that the Royals have had to play so far this year. They're going to wrap up this eight-game road trip. Angels, or beg your pardon, seven, six-game road trip. Angels and Athletics coming up here in June. Uh, last time out for the Royals, a split with the Minnesota Twins. Kind of a disappointing result. Twins are tied for last in the American League Central. Royals jumped out on them 6-5 to five with the Game 1 win on Thursday, then blew them out on with the uh, Jorge Soler power bobblehead night, 14-5, to five, kind of a record-breaking open to that game. But then a one-run loss on Saturday, 5-4, to one-run loss on Sunday, 2-1. to one. So as we look at the entire picture here, Weston, it's been a couple of weeks for you. Uh, give us your sense of where Kansas City is right now. A minus six run differential currently. They've had struggles both with offense and defense in different times of the season. And in all those categories, there have been guys that have seen a little bit of an uptick here the last few weeks. I guess I would say there are reasons to hope and reasons to mope if you're a Royals fan. Where on the fence do you sit as you kind of take this look about a third of the way through the season for the Kansas City Royals? Yeah, I feel like the Royals have really settled in from when we talked from the beginning of the season. You know, they had, of course, that torching hot start to the season where we all discussed, hey, look, this is a great start. They're playing some low opponents. Then the, the schedule picked up. They started to play some really good opponents. They lost a whole bunch of baseball games. And now over the last, you know, 15 or so. I feel like we've kind of settled into more of a reasonable expectation of what this Royals team looks like move, moving forward. They're winning games they should win. They're losing a few that they shouldn't lose, um, you know, and, and vice versa. We're getting, I think, a much more big picture look at this team. You know, and one thing that I do feel like we've really settled in with them on is is the offense. You know, early on it was hot. Um, it, it obviously came crashing down, but it's kind of reached back to that status of I think this team is going to, that's going to be the building block for this team as the pitching has been all over the map and that's continued yeah. throughout the season. One thing that has been stable in the wins is is the offense, you know. So, and particularly, I mean, if you look at the last, uh, so it would, it would be, it was the last eight prior to their loss on Sunday. So I know I'm, I'm cherry picking stats a little bit here, but not counting the loss on Sunday, the eight previous, they had scored, they scored 60 runs in those eight games. That's seven and a half a game. Granted, you had a, a 10 run game and a 14 run game, but nonetheless, that's, I mean, that's scorching hot bats. So you can see what this offense can do. And boy, one of the things I think, you know, Royals fans should certainly be, Maybe almost even the most excited about about this offense is Andrew Benintendi, and I don't necessarily mean sure. to say he per se is the best bat on the offense, but you could make that argument. But it might be right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to see this the trade with the Red Sox paying dividends, right? I mean, so and and I, I saw this stat, and this is from this is back from May twenty fourth, and, and Benintendi's played well since then, so the numbers probably are not too too far out. But if you throw out the first eight games of the season, again we're cherry picking stats, but it's important here. Benintendi was hitting th is hitting three seventeen on base three seventy five, sl uh, slugging four thirty one with an eight oh six OPS. So you can see, really, I mean, obviously he struggled right at first when he got to Kansas City, but since then has really found himself at the plate, and you hope. That that this really is the Andrew Penintendi that the Red Sox saw in 2018 before he kind of came crashing back down from that early major league success. So uh, I'm certainly excited to see what this you know that this offense can carry on. It looks like they're going to. I mean, it's the game of baseball, right? You're never going to get. You can't just count on five six runs every single night. But it looks like the Royals are capable of doing that on any given night, and maybe even you know, a majority of nights. So I think that's the most exciting thing about this team. And, and to come full circle to your question, I think we've kind of settled in now to see that this team, you know, they, they have good offense, the pitching's all over the map, and they're going to be about 500. I think they're going to go on stretches both ways the rest of the season. And I think which side of 500 that they end up on probably is going to depend on what streaks are longer. If they have longer winning streaks, they'll probably be a winning team. If they have 
some longer losing streaks, probably going to end up on that lower side. I don't feel like this is going to be a team that necessarily uh, – it feels like a really streaky team. I don't think this is going to be a team that's going to go four and three in a lot of seven-game stretches. I feel like they're going to be team, you know, weeks where they go two and five and weeks where they go five and two. So we'll, we'll see if that pans out. And, and there are definitely reasons to be positive – Salvador Perez has been kind of just a rock, kind of just a Chevy out there. You can depend you can depend on him. He's not going to be super flashy, but he's going to hit about 270, 280 for you. They hit quite a few home runs. He's driving in runs and just be kind of dependable out there, uh, which is exactly what you want to see after signing him for that long contract coming off of an explosively hot short season coming off of an injury. Andrew Benintendi, I mean, at this point, you have to say that in terms of that trade, I'm looking like an idiot because over his last seven games, he's hitting 370 with 13 RBIs. Last 15 games, he's hitting 353, and he's getting on base nearly 40% of the time. So Andrew Benintendi certainly is not the problem. However, and I know that I'm going to be accused once again of being the guy coming in with the ice bath when you don't want it to douse on Weston's parade, but... (laughs) We also have to look. I'm not accusing you of cherry-picking the stats, but what I am accusing you of is cherry-picking the opponents. Let's have a little look here at who the Royals did it against. The Minnesota Twins, which, by the way, the Twins cannot pitch. They have no pitching in Minnesota. They have given up 305 runs, the second most runs allowed in the American League. They've scored 270. They have an offense that should not be 12 games below 500. The problem is that they can't seem to get anybody out, and and they're terrible at home. They're 12 and 17 at home. So they have been horrible at target field, and they can't pitch, and... Against teams with a winning record, they're 13 and 22. So they are playing really bad against good teams, and they can't pitch. That's that's really a problem. So the Royals, yeah, I mean, sure they hammered them, but the Twins can't pitch, and the Pittsburgh Pirates are not exactly one of True. the. They're in last place in their division. They're bad. 23 and 80 and 35 with a minus 75 run differential, the worst run differential in the entire major leagues. So that's who the 10 game stretch is against. And the Royals, by the way, lost the last two to Minnesota. So. There are good things to, to look at. There are. And I, and I don't want to, to say that there, it's all negative because Andrew Benatendi is playing better. And a guy that we were kind of driving the bus over, you know, maybe we were digging the grave for him. You look at the numbers, they're still not pretty. But Brad Keller, the last few games, has started to kind of turn things around. Over his last seven games, seven starts. He's 4-2 and two with a 3.8 ERA. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should all just run naked around Kauffman Stadium in celebration, but that's if you would have told me beginning of the year he's going to win 66% of his games and his ERA is going to be about 3.75, I would say, you know what? I don't think the Royals are going to make the playoffs with that, but you probably have to take that, right? You're not, you're not likely to get a lot better than that from, from Keller. So he's been really good. And he, lately, he's been, maybe I shouldn't say really good. Scott Barlow, on the other hand, has been unbelievable. I think it's his last eight appearances. Yeah. He has not given up a run, a single run. So he has been absolutely on fire. However, there are negatives to talk about. May I suggest to you, exhibit number one, what is going on with Hunter Dozier? This guy cannot hit the baseball right now. I know he had that big home run, but you look at his numbers right now. Hunter Dozier is flat-out struggling. He, Weston, he's hitting 146. I mean, the last time we talked about this, when he and uh, Jorge Soler were combined, I don't actually, I don't know if you were on the show, but they were like a combined two for 50. Like, well, yeah. I mean, at least he's four for 26 over his last seven now with two home runs. Hunter Dozier is in a horrid slide. He's five for 53 over his last 15. And I still stand by and say that the Royals are not going to have a winning record if you don't have Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier hitting well. And Soler is still under the Mendoza line. He's still hitting under 150 in the last seven games. When do you make a change in the lineup? Jorge Soler, obviously, he's the home run, you know, single season 
king in Royals history. We know what he can do with the bat, but at some point, it's not about what you can do. It's about what you're doing. And these two guys, the Royals have got to have them produce, and they're not right now. And the Royals aren't, I believe, with the inconsistency in the pitching that you mentioned, Royals can't be as good as they can be. You can only, Andrew Benintendi and Salvador Perez cannot carry yeah. these guys. They can't. Yeah, and that's uh, I'm going to mention this in passing just because I feel like we almost don't give him enough credit somehow. But Sal just continue continuing yeah. to play phenomenal base. I mean, there's no we don't talk about him enough, but it's almost it's just a given night that? in and night out. I I, I don't know. I, I guess mean, it's he's because such a he's a guy. He's probably my favorite player, me and too. we treat him like he's like dog food on this show. I, Terrible. I know. Shame on I us. think it's just because he's been here so long, and he's you know, and he hasn't produced at this level, but he's produced consistently throughout his career. Yeah. So I don't know if we're just taking him for granted. But you know, the, going back to to, to Hunter Dozier and, and Jorge, Jorge Soler, I think part of the problem too is right now what is the alternative for the Royals um, and not to suggest that you know heck you what don't get Bobby Wood Jr. he did hit three home he hit three home runs the other night May 30th for the, the, for do? the do you have his stats of, do you have his I average looked up well, you I don't, make your point. I'll look up the stats. Yeah, absolutely. But well, but that it's a good segue because that's kind of my thing right now. Currently on the big league roster, there's just not there's not alternatives to these guys. Um, you know, and and I think the always the response is, well, it can't be worse than what they got going on. Well, that might be true, right? It's like why not give Hans or Alberto, you know, a few more looks or or um, you know Ed, Edward Olivares, who's you know played well. But the problem is like. Well, even if they are hitting a little bit better, what's the upside with those guys? Is it better to try to get corrected? The guys, you know, in Jorge Solar and Hunter Dozier that you know have huge upside, or I shouldn't say huge upside, but have significant upside, as opposed to just plugging in guys that's like, yeah, they might be a little better than them right now. Weston, um, I think but, you're going to like this. Uh, but three, in this, 27 games for Bobby yep. Witt. Junior three, he's got a three fifteen on base percentage, which is not great. Hitting 236, 26 hits. However, 10 extra base hits, nine of which are home runs. So yeah. this guy is hitting for power. He does have 35 strikeouts in 27 games, so that's a little bit concerning. Yeah. But, you know, so this is the question I want to ask you. The last time that the Royals did this, they brought up Daniel Lynch, big-time prospect, and that thing crashed and burned about as hard as it possibly could. Daniel Lynch was not ready. He got absolutely shelled. Do you think that that maybe would make Kansas City, Dayton Moore, Coach Matheny, maybe a little bit more reticent to do that with a young superstar player that's got a lot of name recognition? There are a lot of people that want to see him up in the majors, and he's doing good things. He is progressing. He's hitting for a lot of power. You know, And his home runs have been <laughs> mammoth shots. Sports center quality, towering shots, but he he definitely doesn't seem to me at least to be polished quite yet. But as you mentioned, Royals don't exactly have polished players up at the big leagues right now, anyway. Yeah, and I think they've shown, and particularly if you, I mean, even going back where we started this conversation, the Andrew Benintendi trade from the beginning shows that they are will they are ready to at least in the Royals' mind, ready to compete and contend for a division right now. Now, we can argue about whether that's right or wrong, yeah, but my opinion that. is that's what the Royals think. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given up the prospects that they did. And that trade actually uh, went through, and I, the name of the guy that you know the players to be named later just went through on the Andrew Benintendi uh, trade, and one of them was a pitcher that was a, I want to say, second-round pick or third-round pick in 2018. So that's a pretty early um, pretty high draft pick to be giving up. Sure. That, again, that goes to show, I think, you know, what they, the, the, at least the mentality that they're in. So I think if, if they believe Bobby Witt is going to provide something that Jorge Soler or more, I'm more focused on Hunter Dozier because that's kind of where I'm thinking that this might be helpful, you know, getting Bobby Witt some reps at third base, which is his position of the future, uh, you, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. And really, you go back to the strikeouts. Well, you know, 
that's okay though, because with Bobby Witt right now, what you're what you would be trying to replace is that power that you're missing from either Jorge Soler or Hunter Dozier. So if he's coming up and swinging and missing, well, the other two are are as well. Except hopefully you hope Bobby Witt's going to connect and and hit some home runs. So uh, and, and Blake, I think you're gonna this might you might roll your eyes and uh, groan and uh, I don't know what, sure. what else you got coming for this. But have you seen the numbers lately on old Bubba Starling down in uh, Omaha? Wow, that's there's a guy that we haven't talked about in a while. So how, how about is he doing? How about this though? So this so this was as of June third, and then I have an update for you as of June sixth. So as of June third, Bubba Starling had played in six games. Of during those six games, he has five total hits. Four for four of them were home runs. Two two of them came on that game in June third. His other hit was a double. Then on June sixth, he hit. Two more home runs, uh, giving eight hits on the season, six being for home runs. He had three multi-home run games on the season so far. Wow. So, I mean. That is exciting. I, you know, I at this point, you ex- I expect nothing out of Bubba Starling, but my God, what a story that would be if he could come up and provide some power at the big league level. But again, I, I just have to, it, you know, just kind of laugh and roll your eyes. And I mean, yeah, God, man. It'd be a, a miracle, but that's nothing you're expecting. Boy, that, yeah, Bubba Starling was a guy that's not even on my radar in terms of the Royals. <laughs> like, he just got lost in the jungle down there, but. Yeah, maybe they can, you know, reclaim him. Also, if if I may, I, I think I do need to uh, – I need to have a conversation about the, the managing staff, front office staff. Um, especially – I, I got to go back to this Daniel Lynch thing. Jackson Kowar is getting called up. He's actually yep. supposed to start tonight against mm-hmm. the Angels. And who is getting optioned down to AAA Omaha? Jacob Junis. Okay, so what we did with Jacob Junis, we took a guy who was doing just fine as a starter, solid starter, probably you know our second or third best starter. Um, you know, certainly while Danny Duffy was you know going into Cy Young land, uh, that that was insane what he was doing early on in the season. But Jacob Junis was not just serviceable; he was pitching very well, and so the Royals. Because they need Daniel Lynch, and I, I get it, there was a vacancy in the rotation they had to fill. They call up Daniel Lynch, who was not ready. They move Junis back to the pen. They totally mess up Junis's cadence and rhythm. Junis now is not even good enough to be on the big league squad, so he's going to Omaha. This has been a disaster for the Royals. Because Junis was pitching well. We've mentioned how up and down the pitching has been. I hated the move when it was made. Obviously, you know, we have the full we have the full sample size now. The move was stupid. Why would you take a guy who is pitching as a starter? If you want to mess with a reliever, you know, I understand that. Relievers are different. But when you have a guy, and I know he started the year in the bullpen, but he is pitching well as a starter. I cannot for the life of me understand why they would make that move to move him to the pen for this kid from wherever they got Daniel Lynch from. And Lynch, you know, doesn't even make his second start, doesn't even make it out of the first inning and doesn't even make it to four appearances before he's back in the minors. This has been a tragic statement, a tragic mishandling of their resources by the Kansas City Royals, to put it very lightly. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, there's. I mean, I can't say anything other than agreeing that the, that the that the Daniel Lynch move did not work out. But and this is pure speculation on my on my part, Blake. I've not read anything or seen anything to suggest this. But I'm curious if part of Jacob Junis being now optioned to AAA as opposed to you know just sticking around or whatever shuffling around is to. I'm wondering if they're sending him there to stretch him out to go. You're right. The bullpen didn't work out. He was doing well as a starter, but now we want to stretch him back out, get him in back into that starting rhythm in the minors where it's not going to cost us. And then they've got that opportunity to bring him back. Pure speculation on my part, but that's to me that makes the most sense because I know he wasn't pitching well out of the bullpen, but there's a couple of guys that aren't pitching well out of the bullpen, and I don't think that Junis needed to be the guy. Uh, Also peculiar that they... Uh, DFA Jake Newberry in that move as well. And I know, again, someone who's not pitching well, but a very young arm. I think, again, that kind of goes to show the mode that they that they believe they're in, which is 
ready to win now by DFAing a young arm like that. And I know it seems like a small, in, you know, unconsequential thing, but uh, you know, I think it goes with it. Uh, also, side note though, to kind of differentiate a little bit from Daniel Lynch compared to Jackson Kowar getting called up tonight, Jackson Kowar coming in to this start tonight with a .081, I believe, ERA. I mean, it, almost with the difference in my mind with Jackson Kowar, it was he wouldn't, I mean, he pretty much said, I'm ready. There's nothing else I can do here. I'm just annihilating th- this minor league talent where Daniel Lynch had a little success, but it's certainly like you, like you said, back when the move was made, like it was, he wasn't just blowing people out of the waters. He looks good, but he wasn't blowing people out of the waters where at least so far, the numbers have looked fantastic and who knows how it's going to play out though. I mean, obviously that's kind of the thing, right? You just got to see, but I think there's a little bit of a difference between what Jackson Kowar did to be ready compared to Daniel Lynch, sure. which as we That's can all fair. agree now, that move just did not work out. It was not ready. Also, um, does somebody know where Danny Duffy is? Yeah, I was going to ask ten, you that. 10-day DL. So the, the only article that I can find is like a week ago in the Kansas City Star. And basically the headline was that he's progressing, but the return to the rotation is not imminent. The Royals manager said, I think last week on Tuesday afternoon, he's responding well. He's throwing up to 90 feet, and the next step is going to be throwing off of a mound in a controlled setting. Again, Kansas City star for the credit there. But, I mean, he was put on the 10-day DL, I think it was May 18th. Yeah, May 18th, Associated Press for pain in his left forearm. I mean, the longer this stretches out, we're up to 20 days now. I mean, he had been pitching fairly well he he certainly and i i don't think anybody really believed that he was going to continue on the pace that he was in the first month of the season when he was virtually unhittable and and, <laughs> yeah. and in, in my in my estimation i would have never said that danny duffy was the best pitcher in baseball for the month he may have been the best starter in baseball i mean his era yeah. was under one i believe and even as his last start all the way back may 12th against detroit went six innings gave up only four earned runs but he has, has not had the danny duffy blow up this year so if they're going to end up on the right side of five 500 like you think they are well i really think that they definitely need a healthy danny duffy to get back up to kansas city and right now as of today i mean maybe there's something that i have missed maybe there's something that our crack research team has let through that they did not pass along to us before the show i can't find any update on danny duffy other than a week ago and his other than return to the starting rotation is not imminent yeah, and usually you see a lot of the, you know, you get the beat writers that say, oh, Danny Duffy was out, throw, you know, throwing long toss today. Or, sure. And I, I feel like you haven't even seen really any of that. So, uh, you know, I certainly hope that there's not a bigger issue and maybe they are just saying, hey, you know, older guy, let's just not take any chances, go real slow with it. And let's hope it's a matter of that and not, oh, boy, there's something bigger at issue here, uh, you know, with his arm. But, you know, and it's pivoting to another name on the 10-day IL. And and this is kind of one of those things, too, where the eternal optimism in me always says, well, look what this team's doing. They're they're above 500. They're they're playing. They're showing some signs of really good baseball. And they're calling up Jackson Cole. They're going to get Denny Duffy back. And then here's the other guy. Adalberto Mondesi, there's been a lot of frustration from Royals fans, I think, about his continued uh, stint on the IL and continuing to be hurt, and he's pretty much his whole beginning to his career has been kind of riddled with injuries. You know, I think fans often are, you know, unfairly, I think, pin the players as, oh, injury-prone, as as if it's their own fault. I mean, I'm sure some guys might be more cautious than others with injuries. I'm sure there is, but, I mean, ultimately, this guy's getting injured, and I don't don't think he's going out there to try to do that. I'm sure he wants to play baseball, but, boy, he showed us some really good baseball uh, in that little bleep that he had to, to start the season. I mean, he hit 360 in his return, and, again, I know very small sample size, but you can see why people are so excited to get him on the baseball field, and, and certainly this offense, would, it would look so much better with Mondi plugged back into that lineup. So, um, you know, there is definite hope with some of these guys that, uh, or with some of the guys that are making debuts that are young or that are injured and are coming back. So I always think that there's a lot to look forward to. And the more the, the Royals can tread water and keep as much up to pace as they can in the AL Central, I think that gives people more and more hope as we get down, you know, towards the, you know, post the all-star break and when 
things kind of get serious towards that stretch run. Early correction on myself. It is a seven-game road trip for Kansas City out to California. Three games set with the Angels, and the first pitch should be getting just about underway here. So, obviously, uh, not going to have that score for you here. Is that's actually just getting started in the top of the first as we are recording this here. Uh, they'll wrap up with the Angels on Wednesday, and then they'll head to Oakland to play four more games. 8.40 first pitch Thursday, Friday, and then 3.07 first pitch on Saturday and Sunday at Oakland. 8.38 is the first pitch time for all of the games against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, of California, of whatever they're called now. So that's what's coming up for the Kansas City Royals. Getting a little bit closer to home here, but sticking with baseball. Boy, if you have been a diehard wind surge fan, you have been treated to some of the wildest baseball that maybe you will have ever seen. Last series against Arkansas, which was played in Wichita, the wind surge won multiple games with walk-offs, 2-1 to one on Tuesday. They come back, lose Wednesday. Thursday, they win 7-6. to six. Then they win 8 to 5 Friday, 6 to 4 Saturday, then they get blown out 9 to nothing on Sunday. Series before that against Springfield, they lose to the Cardinals. In fact, they split the series with the Cardinals. Very disappointing result. Springfield the worst team in the AA Central by far. But after losing 7 to 2, then they come out and blast Springfield 14 to 1 on the 26th. They lose back-to-back games and then put together back-to-back wins to salvage that series, 10-9 on the 29th, 6-5 on the 30th, and currently lead the AA Central 18-12. They are the number one team in the North Division. Despite having the lowest run differential, second lowest run differential of any team with a 500 or better record in the entire AA Central. Plus six. The Tulsa Drillers are plus 34 in the AA Central, and somehow Wichita is ahead of them. So, Weston, I know that people, this is a way overused term, and it's used applied in every single sport, but... I've heard a lot of people call these guys the cardiac kids, and it is kind of a hard team to figure out, but, boy, it sure seems like they are playing at a very exciting brand of baseball, and they've got a very big series coming up on the road at Tulsa. As I mentioned, best run differential in the entire AA Central here over these next six games, but Wichita at 18-12 and 12 through their first 30 games of the year. Couldn't ask for a much better start than that. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're first place in the AA Central, and and you know they have been playing some exciting. You're getting walk-offs out of out of Riverfront Stadium. Seems like every single game, it's a it's a walk-off for the for Wichita. Yeah, I know. You know, and the thing I think exciting too, you're getting a combination of good baseball, a combination of exciting games, and then getting to see you know great talent. I mean, obviously this team is you know pretty much led. I'd I'd say in my opinion by Jose Miranda, who's hitting three nineteen, uh, slugging five forty six, sure. and then you know so that whole that half of the the diamond, I guess, really kind of leads the team because then third baseman or sorry shortstop Jermaine, and I I'm hoping I'm saying this right, Palacios, right? Uh, he's hitting three sixteen, so. slugging. Uh, slugging 416 so you're getting to see some some great talent there on the field and then uh, I have to ask did you notice or did you see that uh, Gilberto Celestino who was started the season with the wind surge up until I want to say about a week ago got called up to the big league squad with the twins and made a beautiful little appearance against the Royals when uh, Andrew Benintini hit a ball right in between left and center, and Celestino was starting in center field. Celestino cut off the left fielder, then missed the ball, uh, scoring, and I want to say, oh, it was Gerard Dyson. Gerard Dyson was on second, was, of course, tagging up. Then Celestino misses the ball. Dyson obviously gets to third. Then instead of, I have no idea what Celestino was thinking, throws the ball back to second, so behind the runner, overthrows the second baseman with that, and draw Dyson scores off of that, that Andrew Bindantini uh, bloop. So fun to see. But it's, it, it is fun, though, to see, right, that, you know, the wind surge, the Wichita product going up, playing for the Twins, and then against, you know, the Wichita typically fan-favorite team in the Royals. So uh, kind of fun to, to see the product. But, but you're right. I mean, uh, you know, and I think – upcoming for the wind surge we're going to get a good idea of what 
what this team is and, and who they are. Like, you know, with the minor leagues, you always are going to get fluctuations, right? Because guys are moving in and from the roster up and down. You play in all sorts of different size ballparks. A lot of different variables go into minor league baseball. But like you mentioned, they got six games coming up against 17 and 12 Tulsa, followed by six games against the treacherous uh, Springfield. What are they? The Redbirds? Is that is that right for Springfield? Uh, Cardinals. Cardinals. Okay. The Springfield Cardinals. Uh, that's still a Redbird. Whatever. I was close enough. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so, but I think we're going to get a, it. It'll be a good spot, you know, over this next week to see where they are. If you certainly hope that they can take that series with Tulsa, that goes a long ways, especially knowing that they, they go into a six game streak. And yes, I know they split with Springfield, but, um, you know, six games against eight and 21 Springfield will really put them on a good path if they can win this six long six game series at Tulsa. Yeah, the Wichita Wind Surge currently second in the league in OPS as a team, uh, hitting 259 as a team. Their OPS is 735. Uh, not much of a power team so far for Wichita, just kind of average. Uh, but they they hit. This is a team that hits a lot of doubles. They're second in the AA Central in doubles. So this is a team that is putting the ball in play and doing a fairly good job of of not striking out so much. They're in the bottom half of the league in strikeouts, and uh, I believe in the top half of the league, yeah, in the top half of the league in walks taken. So being a little bit selective at the plate, and the the number one thing that I think you want to see out of this wind surge team, you want to see the pitching continue to develop. Um, Frisco has been unbelievable in terms of their pitching this year. They're like a half run. Well, them and Tulsa. Tulsa has been really good as well. The Frisco is first in the AA Central at 3.14 ERA, and then about oh, two-tenths of a run behind is Tulsa, and they've kind of separated themselves. It's about a half run back to get to Arkansas and Wichita from there, but Wichita has had very solid pitching as a team throughout the first you know, 20, 30 games of the season. So if the Royals can continue to pitch well, I think that they're going to have a chance to do really, really well, and You've got to be able to take take down the Springfield Cardinals. The Cardinals are just absolutely struggling. Worst pitching staff. I mean, you look at the AA Central in terms of the standings. Everybody is within four games of 500. All the losing teams are within four games of 500, except for Springfield. Springfield is eight and 21. The next worst team is 13 and 17, which at this point in the year, being four games below 500 through 30 games, not that big of a deal. Springfield is just awful right now. They can't do anything right. And they are, <laughs> Amarillo is minus 25 in the run differential. The second worst team in the AA Central. Springfield is minus 83. So I don't know what's going on with the Cardinals Double A franchise, but they suck right now, which thumbs up to me because we hate the Cardinals on this program, obviously, as Royals fans. So, yeah, I think a big opportunity to match up here against your predominant rival. Do we know who the primary rival of Wichita is going to be right now? Is it, I mean, is it going to be Tulsa? I know in hockey between the Wichita Thunder and the Tulsa Oilers, that's kind of the big rivalry is Wichita and Tulsa. Is it is it Wichita and Tulsa for in the wind surge? I'm not sure if we have the answer to that yet. I know Royals fans here probably would not don't want to see the Cardinals come in and win a whole lot here in, in, in Riverfront Stadium, but I don't know how the rivalries really work out at, at the minor league level, but I think that would be a nice rivalry if they can conjure it up. But, yeah, so far, Wichita, the only thing that you worry about is the sustainability of what they're doing because they're plus six in run differential. And I keep bringing that up. Run differential sabermetrically is the best predictor of whether or not a team is going to win a game. You run all the stats through the calculators that you want. I'm going to boil this down really, really quickly for you. You have a better chance of predicting whether a team is going to win or lose based on the run differential, not the runs allowed, not the ERA, not their batting average, not any other stat. Run differential is your best predictor. It's been proven. Go talk to Bill James if you got a problem with it. And Wichita right now, plus six, their expected win-loss is 16 and 14. Two games back, which through 30 games, kind of significant. So I'm interested to see if they can continue this moving forward. But without a doubt, Weston, it has been tremendously thrilling baseball to start their tenure here in Wichita. 
Yeah, and I keep hearing and keep hearing and keep hearing fantastic things about going out to the ballpark and experiencing yep. there. Obviously, you know, I w- wish we had Tommy on today as the only season ticket holder on uh, the podcast <laughs> yes. crew. I'm sure he would have some wonderful things to say as well. Uh, but keep hearing what what a good experience is. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I and I was happy You're and good gone. to see. I also and an update on my complaint about the beer prices. I did see that they do have a they had a they've been having thirsty Thursdays. So maybe yes, I just do. need to be maybe I just need to be going on a, on a Thursday if I'm sure. going to be old grouchy man about the beer, <laughs> beer prices. Uh, but yeah, they do but, have oh, some good specials. Overall, seems to be good, and and I think I guess if I, I kind of leave with with one last thing is uh, f- yeah. what the wind surge need moving forward, and, and really it's adaptability, right? And I think that's probably an answer for all minor league baseball teams. But you're you're gonna like I mentioned earlier, you're gonna have pitchers that get called up, get called down. Your position players that get called up, called down. You're gonna have big leaguers that need to come do a rehab assignment and are gonna plug oh, in, course. and they're gonna be you know maybe you have a pitcher that needs to just work on something that's maybe not necessarily to the benefit of the win surge, win loss. So being able to adapt to those surroundings, I think are always important in minor leagues and we'll see what they can do. Like you said, as we, we got a tough stretch with Tulsa and then hopefully can kind of, uh, you never can relax, but you know, then get into a little bit of a lighter side of your schedule. I'm very interested to see once we have access to, you know, some statistics in terms of attendance numbers. We'd love to see what the attendance yeah. has been like out there, how it compares to other markets of similar size, other teams in the league in terms of total numbers, percent capacity, um, because, you know, the coronavirus numbers continue to trend in the correct direction, at least down here in Sedgwick County, really all across Kansas and and the vast majority of the United States. uh, The thing is getting beaten back big time. Um, So hopefully that'll get more and more fans more comfortable going out to the ballpark. It'll be a little while before you can go back out to uh, the Arkansas River to see those uh, wind surge players. They're at Tulsa for a six-game set. Of course, with the schedule this year because of the pandemic, every single Monday is an off day in minor league baseball and then a six-game series. That is not going to be the case next year, obviously assuming that everything keeps going back to normal and there's no indication at this point that it won't be. But six-game sets every week and every Monday is a travel day. Six-game set at Tulsa, 7.05 first pitch, Tuesday through Saturday. Getaway day on Sunday, 1.05. Next time you can catch them at home will be 7.05 on Tuesday, the 15th six-game series with the Springfield Cardinals. 7.05 first pitch, Tuesday through Friday, 6.05 on the 19th on Saturday, and then 1.05 first pitch on Sunday, the 20th. We wrap up the show today with college football Yeah, believe it or not, they were playing some meaningful football this early spring as the NJCAA made the decision to delay the football season for 2020 and into the spring of 2021 because of the coronavirus pandemic. Seems to have paid off for the most part. And boy, did it pay off for the Blue Dragons. I know this is a little bit outside our purview of Wichita area sports, but Hutchinson up there in Reno County, a Jayhawk conference team, the Blue Dragons win the NJCAA National Championship a big win over snow. They had to come back in order to do it. 29-27. Hutchinson was ranked as the number one team in the country coming into the matchup. Snow College number two. It was played in Little Rock, Arkansas War Memorial Stadium. Ty Edwards, the Blue Dragon running back, was the game's MVP. 139 yards, two touchdowns. It had been a little while, I think, Weston, since the Jayhawk had claimed a national championship. Obviously, for a long stretch of time there, you had had Butler County kind of running things under Coach Troy Morrill for a number of seasons. They've kind of faded a little bit. I'm not saying they, they faded into obscurity, but there have been other teams come in. Obviously, those of you who have watched Last Chance U on uh, Netflix are very well aware of what happened in Independence over those couple of seasons a few years back. Garden City made a little bit of a run coming from out of nothing to kind of become a contender. Hutchinson's always kind of been around, been a factor, never been the team. But Weston, this year they were the team, had to come back from 14-0 down and trailed 21-10 with under five minutes to play in the third quarter. But Hutchinson goes on a run to end the game. They score 19 of the game's last 25 points to win it 29-27 and bring a national championship in football back home to Kansas. 
Yeah, so uh, first 2016, Garden City won the NJCAA, so that would be the last time someone from the conference won. Uh, Yeah, so Hutch under first-year coach Dave Dallas getting it done. Uh, Can't imagine, you know, getting that that, that call, you know, first year, getting getting the job done, especially in in an odd year like it was, so so good for him. But, uh, you you know, Blake, on this show, you guys have made fun of me uh, or poked – poked fun at me. I don't know what other terms I can use, but how I always bring things back to me. Well, I've got a little fun fact for you about the Hutchinson. Wow, do we have a Weston whip around? And listen, here's the thing. No, Uncle Ron did not leave the Bishop Carroll bowling squad to go coach at Hutch, but my old defensive coordinator, Andrew Krause, is is at, uh, he is the special teams coordinator for Hutchinson Community College, so good to see him, him get it done, but uh, but yeah, big big win for for Hutch. You know, I was kind of looking through the roster. Not, I wasn't familiar with a lot of these guys. Um, you know, not from the area, anyways. I, I did note that there was uh, Justin Powell from. Um, he's a, he's a freshman defensive back. I, I from what I saw, I didn't get to play a whole lot. Um, from Pretty Prairie, but also went to Bishop Carroll High School, so not, that's kind of an odd rela- relation for me. But but uh, right. that's the only local guy, and I don't know your thoughts on this, Blake. I completely understand, and, and I think from a competitive standpoint, it makes sense, the relaxation that, that they've had on a certain number of Kansas kids within a program. But I do, at times like this, like I'm excited for Hutch. It's great that they won this national championship. But, I, you know, I, it, it is kind of sad to go and look at the roster and not see anybody from the metro area. I think maybe another kid from Salina on the team. Yeah, you know, I remember, Lopez, you know, out of Salina Central. I, I, 2009, 2010, you know, that, so that has been my first two years of college. And obviously I, I, I went the NAI route, not JUCO, but I, I know some of the boys that played on that, those teams in Hutch and they were littered with guys from the area. And that, you know, I, I understand from a competitive standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, but I do hate not seeing as many of the local guys there on the roster. I'm not, not going to lie, Weston. That's exactly the point that I was going to bring up is that we had a system that Kansas kids had an opportunity to go and develop in junior college and play their way into a Division I or Division II scholarship. And we saw it happen many times. How many Kansas State players over the years were developed through junior college football? Butler County won national championships doing that in the Jayhawk Conference. And then, for some reason, half of the teams in the Jayhawk Conference who played football – basically everybody who was sick and tired of losing to Butler because Butler had some sort of a built-in advantage being closer to Wichita, even though Coffeyville had a stretch where they pretty much ran the league and Butler was terrible for a while, but they always forget about that part where every team has kind of had a spurt being the lead dog in the Jayhawk Conference, but oh, because they haven't done it lately, they can't come back and do that. I think it is pretty sad, and I know that if you talk to a lot of high school coaches around here, I know what had happened when I had a sports talk show down here. It was a big, big deal, and I know if you go and knock on the door of Steve Martin at Wichita Northwest, you talk to Alan Shuckman, who was the coach at, at uh, Bishop Carroll, talk to Dusty Trail, his successor. You go down and talk to talk to Derby, talk to Coach Clark at Derby, or if you talk to uh, Coach Harrison while he was the coach at Heights, now he's at Bethel. Um, those guys, I I think, I don't know, but I think that all those guys would tell you, and I, I, I think that the Wichita Eagle, I think Taylor Eldridge actually did a story on this about maybe a year ago, a year, a couple of years ago, about the precipitous drop in the number of Kansas kids on rosters. And I think that it's a shame because, I, like you said, I do want the Kansas schools to be competitive. And, you know, we've, we've seen, we have a firsthand look right now at what it takes to win a national championship thanks to Last Chance U. Because that indie team that Coach Jason Brown led, whether or not you like Coach Jason Brown, and I'm not saying you should, because the guy, <laughs> well, suffice to say, he's got issues. But yeah. the guy could sure as hell win. And whether or not you like the guy down at Eastern Mississippi Community College, the guy sure can win, and I'm not sure that you know they have the similar problems of getting players in from Mississippi. I don't know if they have a whole lot of local talent down there at EMCC. I mean, they call it Last Chance U for a reason, right? Yeah. But 
Um, you know, it, I think that it is a shame that there isn't some sort of a push to make Kansas players more available to Kansas JUCO spots on a roster, scholarships, partial scholarships. I'm not going to say even necessarily that things needed to remain the way that they were, but Weston, couldn't there have been a middle ground? Because right now we basically have right. no Kansas kids on right. the national champion. Do they have to go all the way? Can't we swing back the pendulum a little bit to the middle? I mean, do you really have to have 98% of your roster out of state in order to compete with the national championship? And my second question, open-ended, I don't have the answer, is this. What does it say about Kansas football that we don't have players that our own JUCOs want? Whose fault is that? Why is that the case? Why are they all, and I know that Texas and California and Florida, they got more people. I get that. They got more people. They're always going to have more people. That's always going to be where college football players come from. The warm weather states dominate now. That pipeline of, you know, those big Nebraska boys that are just, you know, brainwashed that they're going to Lincoln to play for the Huskers, you know, or they're bred in Wisconsin. And Wisconsin's been pretty good. I probably shouldn't throw put them in the same category as Nebraska, but it's less and less. The players are coming out of the South and out of California, not the South, but out of warm weather states, warm weather locations. Why can't Kansas be more competitive? Is it something the KSHSAA is doing? Is it just a limitation of our population? I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that it is a damn shame that there are not more Kansas kids playing for Hutchinson, playing for Butler, play, playing. And I know Butler's made a commitment that they're going to try to continue to recruit Kansas kids. They want Kansas kids. And I'm sure that there are other community college colleges in Kansas that are doing the same thing. But, man, it sure would be nice if we had our elite teams that were giving a place for Kansas high school players to continue their career and maybe pop in and, and become a Division One signee and then maybe be able to make it into the NFL or, or play professional football after that. So I'm going to connect some dots and do a little predicting and, here. And you're a former college player yourself. Where did you play high school football? Andel. I don't know if I yeah. mentioned oh, that yeah. on the show. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> God, let me, please allow me why I puke while I let you. Let, we love Andale. We don't have anything wrong with Andale. It's all Weston's fault. So you went from the Andale Indians to uh, to to friends, right? <laughs> That's a oh joke. God, uh, Southwestern. But yeah, you kind of where was when you were playing? The rules were totally tightened the other way, where it was mostly yeah. Kansas kids. Yeah. So it, kind of unwind that for us. And where was your thought process in terms of deciding whether or not to go to JUCO? Obviously, you end up going to the Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference, playing yeah. NAI football, and maybe now how that will have changed for a high school player like yourself who wants to play in college but maybe isn't good enough to get an MIAA scholarship or, or go yeah. to D1. Yeah, so, and I think maybe I'm a good example or I'm a good test subject for why the rule shouldn't have been in place because I got recruited by Hutch. And I was, I think, very realistic with myself that I would never have seen the field at Hutch Juco. I just don't think I, you know, I just wasn't of that size or speed to, to play at that level. I just wasn't. Um, so for me, even though I got recruited, knowing that I was being recruited because they had to meet that quota, I was more interested in going somewhere as, you know, I, I want to play. I just don't want to be a you part of play. I just don't want to, I don't want to be on a roster for two years. And then what do I have to show if I have no game tape? Like, and at the time right. I know, I know now that this happens, but at the time I'm thinking, you know, how could I possibly convince even an NAI school, a Southwestern, a friends, anybody to recruit me if I never stepped on the field at Hutch. Um, so and now knowing also at the NAI level, that actually happens all the time, guys. You know, they may not have that game tape, but at size speed, all these coaches talk to each other. So they go and, you know, talk to that Hutch Juco coach and says, oh, yeah, I know. Look, I mean, he didn't didn't make it on the field for us, but he was great in practice, hustled. He's got the size. He's putting up these numbers in the weight room, blah, blah, blah. And that's how you get recruited. Um, you know, but I'm kind of connecting some dots and I'm kind of wondering, too, 
with the new addition to the transfer portal and the way things are going, I'm wondering if the MIAA is going to somewhat turn into potential leaping pad for players. And I think that's not to the benefit of the MIAA, of course, right? I mean, I think we'll see how this turns out. But is that what's going to happen? I mean, as the MIAA? Well, because I, for whatever reason, that's a premier football that at times I know it's been down, mm -hmm. you know, like Pittsburgh state has not been at the height of their power. Mm -hmm. Northwest Missouri has been pretty damn good. Um, I, uh, I 100% 100 agree, except the difference between for me in the MIAA and the NJCAA is the qualifications to get in and what happens with the whole last chance you a lot of these JUCOs are getting insanely talented players, and it's in spots, right? Like, I'm not. That's not to say that an MIAA team couldn't go and beat a Hutch or whatever. I, I, it's hard to even wrap my brain around that. Beat. Yeah. But that's the thing is you. You, you got a four-year program. You're right. You can build guys players. Versus, mm-hmm. You know, and like it, exactly. Jason Brown talked about this. You know that they're getting. He's in contact with Division One guys, and they're saying, "Hey, yeah. you know, we need to send this guy here." You know, and and you know, will you develop him for us? And then, you right. know, whether or not he goes back to that school, so it's just a, it's totally different than what they do at the MIAA yes. level. Exactly, and that's in my mind. That's kind of why I see the MIAA almost as potentially. And again, it depends on the transfer portal and how it plays out. We've seen what it's done in basketball. It's gone wild. Football didn't quite have that same yet. We're going to see how things shake out over the next few years with this transfer portal and everything. But with the MIAA, it gives you know that Kansas player a guy like myself who size wise I just wasn't ready to compete. But it would give me time to develop. Sure in the weight room with the playing skill. And then maybe you get someone who was smaller, puts on some strength, some weight shows that they've got talent and goes, Oh wow. I, you know what? I mean, I love it here. Maybe that guy says, I want to try to help Pitt state. I want to try to help Washington. I want to try to help Emporia state win a national championship. And they stay, that's going to happen a lot of times. Fort Hayes build those, too. Right. Fort Hayes. Oh, and Fort Hayes. Absolutely. Okay, Fort Hayes state, or, they've come out of nowhere to be, you know, one of the best teams in the MIAA oh, sure. after being, terrible for years i mean they've made the tournament the last right. few seasons but with that being said though too you're there's just no doubt it's just the nature of the business you're going to get those guys who do that and then go well i'm not gonna i have zero shot and this isn't true but this is going to be their thought process i have zero shot of making the nfl from the miaa why don't i try to go spend a year at kansas kansas state iowa state see if i can't put myself on a radar to get to that next level um and again this is just me kind of speculating taking an eye out especially as like circling back to our start of this conversation with juco not giving that requirement that kansas guys be on the roster they're not going to want to take the time and they frankly don't have the time to develop guys with just two years or three years with a red shirt but i know you know again there's a lot of players coming out of high school you know kansas i think overall and maybe i'm stepping into a realm i shouldn't but i think kansas education is good you got a lot of kids coming out that aren't necessarily saying i don't want to spend three years in a in a juco when i can you know move on in my education system and two or whatever would rather just start at a pit or an emporio or somewhere like that so that's kind of where i'm wondering if, if this is going but uh I think we've, <laughs> we've we, this was a good conversation, but boy, have we steered this from the, the national championship. Yeah, I, I do agree. I kind of feel, I do feel bad about it a little bit um, because I do think that those kids up in Hutchinson have done something yeah, that's really, absolutely. really tremendous. And right. that, you know, there are a lot, I know that's, like I said, a little bit out of our area of purview here down in Wichita sports land, but Hutchinson is real close. And I know there are probably a lot of Blue Dragon fans around um, who are going to be really proud of their undefeated season. You know, put an asterisk if, on it if you want. They're going to hang the, they're going to have the trophy. They're going to hang the banner and they're going to be just as proud as they could possibly be there for the Blue Dragons. So congratulations again, Hutchinson. Number one team in the country. They beat Snow College 29 27 to win. I guess they're calling it the 2020 NJCAA National Championship. And that brings us to our conclusion, the final segment of the show. It is time to hit the music and time for our Wichita Whip Around. One story, and we try to make it a positive one generally, that you need to know from around the Wichita area in sports that we just didn't quite have time to cover. Weston, you already did your Whip Around, so what's your Wichita Whip Around for this week? 
Yeah, so I, and I have a couple, so I'll just start with one. Maybe we can bounce back and forth if you have a sure. couple or just come back to me. I don't want to steal anything. But the first one I wanted to talk about, and I know we talk about it a lot, and maybe, maybe in Wichita there's not as much buzz as I feel like there maybe should be with Sunrise Christian Academy, but Mark Mitchell, a player from Bishop Miege, who's the number eight ranked player in the recruiting class of 2020, is transferring from Bishop Miege, which is up here in Kansas City, to Sunrise Christian that. to play for them, averaging eight. 18 and 6 a game um you know that's i mean big time you're talking about number eight in the nation transferring into to sunrise christian and what i thought was interesting about that dynamic is in state right and i know kansas city sometimes can feel worlds apart up here but transferring from four a bishop miege over to sunrise christian academy uh you know big time six foot eight 205 pound forward uh playing <laughs> for uh luke barnwell down there in christian or over there christian sunrise christian yeah, absolutely fantastic story, and uh, you know, for for Sunrise Christian, and and yeah, I mean, I know that we've maybe touched just a little bit on you know four A sports and classifications and private schools, and and you know, is that fair? And I mean, I think basically my point was if if you want to beat Bishop Miege, why don't you get better and then worry about it? But yeah, when you hear you know height, weight. <laughs> dimensions like that on that guy like yeah. well, geez i don't know if there's a lot of 4a schools with that running around on the roster i am going to go to high school activities as well and this was after we ended our last show last time but um the state swimming meet was held and the bishop carroll girls swimming and diving team uh, won the state championship five to one a it's their second straight uh, championship in a race against a city league rival, a holy war for the swimming championship as the Bishop Carroll girls team beat Cape and Mount Carmel, a 282 team points, Cape and Mount Carmel uh, lost by 45 points. Congratulations to coach Spencer Shellhammer and the Bishop Carroll Golden Eagles girls swimming team for bringing home a state championship back to Wichita. Weston, you said you've got one more whip around story. Yeah, also, so uh, moving up to the, the college ranks, Jalen Ricks, a uh, recruit signed with Wichita State. And, and I know people are probably thinking, yeah, well, that. okay, you know, this is a big story. I got six foot seven wing out of Oak Hill. Um, he wasn't, he was not listed on Wichita State's top eight at all, which that's, and I know that the, the top eights and lists and all that gets so ridiculous. But what I think is exciting about is showing what Isaac Brown can do as far as yeah. going in and convincing a kid that didn't have Wichita State on the map at all. But, you know, six foot seven wing, uh, three star recruit. He's a three and D type player. They say he's a great athlete, which I think those that six foot seven, that big three and D wing. That type of player is so important, I think, for a mid-major, talking about competing when it comes to the tournament. Because when you run into those big-time stars and some of the big-time programs that you know are going to go on to the NBA, you get a guy that's a great athlete that's six foot seven, that's known for you know for defense and three points. Like That's the kind of guy you need to go guard that star player. So that's why I think this Jalen Ricks... Uh, it is you know was an important signing for Wichita State and don't know that he'll necessarily play right away or anything like that but big time prospect I mean he was being recruited by Arkansas uh, Oklahoma Absolutely. State T- TCU so big big get for Wichita State and it just goes back to show once again you know all these people who question the Isaac Brown hire and oh can he recruit and all this like you really you think that Greg Marshall was recruiting all these guys on his own like come on. I know Greg Marshall had such a huge personality, and he was the face of the program, and deservedly so. But in all these programs, it doesn't matter if it's at KU with Bill Self, or if it is at Kentucky with John Calipari, or if it's at North Carolina with Roy Williams, or was with Roy Williams, and or a Duke with Mike Krzyzewski, or I mean with was with Krzyzewski. All of their assistant coaches recruit these guys, period. There's not a single great head coach from Dean Smith to John Wooden, who has not had an assistant coach on there that went out and recruited guys, period. So, yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic signing for Wichita State. Interested to see what he looks like in a Shocker uniform. And that is our Wichita Whip Around for this week. One last piece of business to take care of. Weston, any additions, corrections, or retractions? 
I have two editions. One, uh, didn't know where to fit this in because it's not really Wichita, but it is Kansas Prep Sports, and I felt like we had to talk about it. Did you hear, and maybe if you guys covered this, please stop me, Kendra sure. Waite, uh, 6A girls track performer, uh, had four, uh, yes, we did cover that. But yeah, you mentioned it repeating. God, uh, all in a you know, all in one day too. That to me, yeah. that was the most impressive part. Normally, that would be those events would be spread over two. But my God, um, then my other addition is uh, going back to just I had predicted Julio Jones to the Chiefs. Uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. Tennessee. How's that Titans. working out for you? nabbed julio jones uh but it does kind of tie in with wichita a little bit i don't know if you saw tyreek hill was in wichita over at the striker sports complex for one of his um camps that he puts on for kids and he was you know asked about julio jones and this of course was uh, i believe the day before the news broke and he he and both travis kelsey had talked about oh that'd be you know exciting intrigued and blah 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 um but did not happen i i really was starting to think that that might come through and uh Julio Jones to Tennessee. I do think that makes them a, a much tougher competitor for Kansas City, though. I'm not sure that we mentioned, thinking back on it now, I'm not sure we mentioned Kendra Wade. should mention that she's from Gardner Edgerton up there uh, in the northeast part yeah. of the state. But, yeah, absolutely phenomenal state track and field meet for her as she won, you know, basically everything. And that, boy, that 100-meter dash championship, she flat out ran away from those girls. That was oh, impressive. Yeah. Um, looking at the AFC now, I can't remember Weston. It's been a while since I thought going into a season, I think there are four teams right now that I would not at all be shocked if they won the AFC championship, because I think that Kansas city is your favorite, but I mean, look at what they're doing right now in Cleveland. I think Cleveland's a real team. And I think that Tennessee is a real team. Buffalo is a real team. And by the way, I don't think the Ravens are that bad. I think the Ravens are pretty damn close, actually, if Lamar Jackson can get back to his form from a couple of seasons ago rather than last year. He didn't play that bad last year. But you have five pretty damn solid teams in the AFC right now that I think all could make a run. And of the top four, I I would not be shocked if any one of those four teams were playing for the Super Bowl at all. I, I I mean I completely agree and and then to think that um, potentially Mr. Brady waiting on the other side again another year yeah. Uh but yeah. I will I will add just in case you guys didn't cover Kendra Wade just so our listeners know she yeah, won the one hundred the pole vault the long jump and the shot put I mean what a, what a, what a yeah. well rounded I mean and I think Taylor Eldridge wrote wrote the article in the. Uh, paper about it, but I mean, suggesting, and I would agree with him, could be the most dominant state and track performance in the history of Kansas athletics. I mean, men or women, like that's yeah. just incredible. Yeah, it's 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 pretty unbelievable what she was able to do. And going um, on so and go, going on to, uh, I believe Iowa State, no Creighton, sorry Creighton to play volleyball. So not even going on. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to trying to think of what she was going to do. Yeah. I, I didn't think it was track and field, but yeah, going to be a Blue Jay in volleyball. So. Uh, yeah, going to be watching her career with a little earnest for those of us in Northeast Kansas, so probably up in your neck of the woods. That is our show for this week. Thanks so much for being a part of it. You can really help us out by liking and subscribing on whatever platform you use to listen to us on. Once again, cogsports.com, at CogPod on Twitter. Those would be the best two ways to interact with us, or by liking our Facebook page. Keeper of the Games on Facebook. And as always, you can send us a message, share us with a friend. We really appreciate your support of the show. Once again, want to make sure that you say congratulations to Tommy on Twitter or Facebook on the birth of his new son. Tweets from Tommy. Weston Mills, what is your Twitter handle for our beloved audio listeners? At WMills94. And I am at B-E Crips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. That is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with another edition of Keeper of the Games. We'll see what's happening. I'm guessing probably going to be pretty baseball-centric. Will anything break for the Kansas City Chiefs? Will Danny Duffy please make an appearance? Will the real Danny Duffy please stand up and pitch for the Royals? Where is he? I'd like to know where he is. We will see if we can do some investigative reporting and report on that next week on the show. We'll see you then for Episode 70. This has been Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. 
You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.